Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for this rain as much as it's been, as much as it's probably preventing many from even coming today. But Father, we just thank you for you give rain as a blessing. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, use it to, to end our drought. But Father, also give us safety as we're traveling to and fro as well. And Father, as we come together, I pray that you just help us to, to bind our hearts and minds together, to come as we come and say that you are Lord. Father, I pray that you would find joy and favor in our worship this morning as we declare that you are worthy. And Father, I pray as we give, I pray that we would just give of a cheerful, loving, generous heart, one in which loves you and desires to see your work continue. And I pray that you would meet the needs of those, Lord, who are giving and Lord, those who are sacrificing to do so. We put all this in your name, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Feast 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm excited about this message. I'm excited about this series. I put out the request this week on Facebook, and I usually get some answers. This one was a little bit dry, but I asked, you know, what is it that gives you joy in suffering? What is it that causes you to sing? What, what are the things that you look forward to that build you up and lift up? And, and I'd be interested to hear your answers this week. And today we're going to see some of the answers that Peter has for us as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, two weeks ago, I opened up our new series on the first letter of Peter by saying that Christians are called to a life of suffering. We are called to a life of suffering. We, not just Christians, we, we tend to say, yeah, Christians, believers, but I'm here to tell you that we personally, we ourselves are called to a life of of suffering, suffering in salvation, suffering in our sanctification, suffering in our submission to one another, and submission in our service, not only to God, but it's to each other. As we continue this morning our journey through the first letter of Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, there's five chapters here that are going to be both challenging and encouraging us to live in a world that is hostile to our faith. I believe 1 Peter is just great right now. This is newspaper stuff as we look at how do we live in a world that is hostile to our faith. The message of 1 Peter, as we saw two weeks ago, is very simple. The answer to that is how to handle suffering as a Christian. That's the question he's going to give us, or the answer he's going to give us, and it is hope. Hope helps us to handle suffering as a Christian. God gives hope in the midst. One teacher writes that 1 Peter instructs us that God's people are a misunderstood minority living under the rule of a different king, in that day Caesar, and that persecution offers believers a chance to show others the generous love of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I usually don't consider suffering, persecution, hardship, trials as a way in which I can show the generous love of Jesus. But as we look at 1 Peter, we're going to see that's exactly what Scripture is telling us. In our passage from two weeks ago, when we looked at the first two verses of Peter, we saw the work of the Trinity in our salvation. 
as the Father foreknows and calls us, the Son comes and cleanses us of our sin and gives us his righteousness, and that the Spirit sanctifies us, calls us, converts us. In today's passage, Peter is going to lift up a praise to God for his great mercy in saving us. So with that, let's look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. I'm titling it, A Call to Praise God. Let's look at those two verses, 3 through 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, we come before you this morning, and I'd ask and just thank you first for just giving this message to us, and I just enjoyed it so much in my study. Now, Father, let that come through as we speak and we share and we read your scripture. Lord, give us wisdom to know the difference between my mere opinion and the truth that's found here. I pray that this word here this morning would just encourage and challenge us. Father, search us and see where we need to grab onto the promises of God or obey a command of God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free work. And Father, may you just be glorified in all that we do. We praise in Christ's name. Now, this next paragraph is so full of wonderful truths that we could spend a month of Sundays camped right here. It's tempting to try and bull rush our way through verses 3 through 12, but we would do a great disservice not only to the scripture and the spirit and the work of God, but also to ourselves if we attempted to do so. So we're going to take our time and we're going to work through this the best way that we can in order to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for us. And so I've encouraged as we go through this series, as we put out the scripture, is read through them, pray through them, ponder what these scriptures mean to you. Now let's start with Peter's opening sentence. If you've got your Bible open there, you see he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to me, right there, I have to stop. It says, it seems strange that Peter here is saying, let's bless God. Isn't that what we ask God to do for us? Isn't that what he does? Isn't that what we ask him, when we pray, Lord, bless our food, Lord, bless our, our meal, Lord, bless this trip, Lord, bless us here, and so on and so forth. How can you and I bless God? Several years ago, when we explored the gospel of Matthew, we came across this word, blessed in the Beatitudes. Remember that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek and those who hunger for righteousness, so on and so forth. Well, when you read blessed in the Beatitudes, or it, it means happy or feelings associated with receiving God's favor. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will receive God's mercy. That's what we're saying there. However, this is a different Greek word here in 1 Peter. It, in this form, blessed means worthy of being praised or worthy of being commended. Peter here is writing here of the worth of God. He's declaring that I'm worshiping here. He begins the body of his letter by commending God as worthy to be praised. Now this is interesting because he's writing to a group of believers that are suffering persecution for their faith. 
He wants to encourage them and challenge them to endure and persevere. So he starts by reminding them to praise God even in the throes of their pain and suffering. And again, think of a time when you're going through a difficult time or a difficult event. Maybe in a relationship, financially, health. And it may be right now. Is your first thought to praise God? To declare that he is worthy? Or does your thoughts and your emotions tend to go more inside? And think of yourself and do the pity party. For most of us, that tends to where we go. And you can almost imagine those Christians, those believers under persecution, they're looking inward. They're probably saying, God, why are you doing this to me? God, where are you? Why are you allowing this? Probably the same phrases and thoughts that you and I have. But Peter here says, blessed be God. He is commended to be worthy or to be praised. He is one worthy of thought and focus. Peter is not someone that you and I must remember is not ignorant of suffering persecution. He is not someone who can speak from afar off and say, well, this is what you should be doing as if he had no knowledge of himself or what suffering and persecution cost. He himself had suffered much from his own countrymen and the Romans. He, like Paul, had been beaten and jailed and eventually would die as a martyr for his faith. He speaks as one from experience. Like Paul and Silas in Acts, who were praying and singing hymns to God while in prison, Peter knows that it's always appropriate and right to sing and magnify God. In this case, Peter reminds them God is also the Father of Jesus Christ the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important because this is a declaration that sets them apart. Not only from Judaism, but also from imperial cult worship. And this is the confession of our faith, as you said two weeks ago. It is this confession that makes us Christians. We see this clearly in John chapter 5, if you want to turn to it quickly in verse 16. We see the religious leaders are seeking to kill Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. And in John chapter 5 verse 16, we read this. And this is why the Jews are persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was healing on the Sabbath. Verse 17, we see the, the appropriate thing that we want to get to. But Jesus answered these religious leaders. And said, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which was a big deal, but he was even calling God his own, what? Father. Making himself equal with God. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. To proclaim Jesus as God, and let me share this with you, as these Asian Christians learned. To proclaim Jesus as God will set us up to opposition in the world. To proclaim Him as God will always set us up in opposition to the world. No matter what political form it is, no matter where you live in the world, that God is always us. It's always something else. So when we stand and say that Jesus is God, the Father is God, we will always find opposition. Jesus answers the objections of the religious leaders by saying in John 5 verse 19, a little bit further in that passage, if you're there, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing 
of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The Father commands and the Son obeys. So Peter understands we are to praise God for all that he's done, including sending his Son to provide what God required, which was perfection. In John chapter 5, continuing in that passage, he gives us more reasons to commend God as praiseworthy. As not only as God, the Almighty God, but also as Father of Jesus Christ. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, he writes, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. And there's a warning there. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who has sent him. So very clearly, instead of having them grumble and complain about their confession that Jesus is Lord, he says, no, you ought to commend him even more. You ought to sing his praises. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter then goes on to give his reasons why believers that have been exiled to a world hostile to their faith should praise God. Look at the next two phrases. Not only blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we read this, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now we could set on that for a very long time. Peter tells us right off that God has given us great mercy. We sung of that mercy just a little bit. Grace that is greater. One of the great purposes, and mark this down, one of the great purposes of Scripture is to reveal to us the nature and character of the Almighty God. God's letter is something that He wants us to understand so that we may know Him. Here we see His mercy. Mercy refers to God's kindness towards us. Wayne Grumman writes that mercy is God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. We read of God's mercy and kindness to Israel in Hosea 11.4. When God reminds the people that he led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to feed them and to love them. We see that he took them out of slavery. He set them up in the land. He gave them leaders. He gave them all that they knew. God's mercy is also like a communicable trait of God, meaning that we too are commanded and capable of showing mercy and kindness to each other. Micah actually tells you, says, Oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to show justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Zechariah tells us, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment and show kindness and mercy to one another. So we can understand showing mercy and kindness to those that are in distress and need. But the question remains, why do you and I need God's mercy? In what way has God looked down from heaven and seen us in misery and distress? For some would say, hey, my life is maybe not perfect, but it's pretty good. Well, most of us know the answer to the question, but maybe some of you don't. Or maybe you just need a reminder. For Scripture tells us that we are in desperate 
need of God's mercy. Romans 3 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. It goes on to say that we've not only done that, but we've all turned aside. Together, Scripture tells us that we have become worthless, that no one does good, not even one. And that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. You see, that is how God sees each and every living human being among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, we deserve God's wrath as children of disobedience. We have each gone our own way. We are self-absorbed and self-concerned. And Titus, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins against in which we once walked. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. When God looks from heaven, this is what he sees. Even in that little newborn that is born, this is what he sees. This is the world that you and I live in. This is the human condition. If we were left with only these indictments, you and I would be hopeless. All are guilty and deserving of God's judgment and wrath. But, small conjunction with big implications. You ever had someone go do that? You ever been in a, a job performance maybe or maybe someone or a coach or someone and they're listing all the good things that they see from you? You know, da-da-da-da-da-da, you did this, you did this, you did this. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for the but. Oh, you're a good player, you, you do this, you're a good team player, you did this, but. Now when you hear that, but, you know what happens? You forget everything else that came prior to it, and now you're going to settle on what's about to say. The bad news is about to come, but in this case, when we see Scripture, we see the bad news, but brings something much more wonderful. That word, that small conjunction, connects those two verses that we just read, and that indict us with God's great mercy. When he says that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, he goes on to say, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, had made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. When he goes on to say that we spent our days in malice and envy, hating one another and hating each other, he goes on to say, but when the goodness and loveness loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his great mercy. So we see that word, we see the but, but God has something greater for us. So we see that you and I are in distress. You and I are in misery. Yet God in his mercy looks down at us as children of disobedience, deserving of his wrath, and says, but. And he gives us a wonderful gift of mercy and grace in his son. 
But now we must ask, well, what does God's mercy accomplish? So he sends his son. What's the purpose? What, what is, how, is he, how does that demonstrate his mercy? Well, Peter tells us there as we continue, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Another, a phrase so packed, if we read quickly, we're going to forget or miss some of the truth that is in there. Peter tells us that in God's mercy, the but, he caused us to be born again. Again, Peter reveals more about God's nature and character. Paul writes in Titus that God's mercy made us justified by his grace so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. From children of disobedience to children of God. From vessels of wrath to vessels of mercy. You see, God's mercy has done something tangible. It has done something very real. It has brought us salvation that we read earlier in Ephesians and Colossians. He has made us alive. We were once dead, but now made alive. But what we need to realize is that we're not saved or made alive by our own merit or by our own goodness or even by our own will, but by God's. It's not that we chose to love God, but he loved us. The John, the beloved apostle, tells us, in this the love of God was made manifest or made known among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that all who did receive him, who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become the sons of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see, by his mercy, he caused us to be born again. If it was left to you and I, we would still be dead. There is nothing inherent in man that would ever cause us to love God. God, to desire God, to want God. Why? The Bible tells us that our, mind, our eyes and our minds are blinded by Satan. It says that we're dead. A dead man cannot desire good fruit. It cannot desire the good things of God. When he says, taste and see that God is good, it's for those that have been regenerated, who God has breathed in, the Spirit has blown into their hearts. You see, our salvation is initiated by God, not by us. Believing in Jesus. You say, wait a second, I believe in Jesus. Doesn't the Bible tell us to believe in Jesus? Did I not choose to believe in Jesus? Yes. But this is important. Believing in Jesus is the evidence that you are saved. Not that you are saved or that you did it of your own. Look at 1 John chapter 5, if you want to turn there just real quickly. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1 tells us, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, look at the next phrase, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Has been is a past tense. It is God who has caused us to be born again. It is not our ability to see and recognize God and to choose him. We are chosen by God. It is a 
privilege and a joy to be chosen by God. Hence why he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born of God, to be born again. Without that, you and I would still be in that before but of Ephesians and Colossians. It's not based on our merit, but by God's own will. And here's what Peter is saying. This is what he's wanting us to understand. Is knowing that it was by God's will and not my own helps me to understand that salvation is not just possible, but it's assured. In other words, Christ's death and resurrection has accomplished something tangible and real. Christ did not die and raise just so salvation could be made possible, but so that he could assure that those that Christ has chosen would come to him. Now this should bring gratefulness and assurance even in times of trials and suffering. As we remember the words of Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. If he loved us when he chose us, he's going to love us even in our suffering and even in our sinful state today. He will love us when he brings us home. So we see God's great mercy, not only the fact that he sent his son, but that he has caused us to be born again. He initiated that work. It is this knowledge of God's mercy in causing our salvation that leads to praise. Not praise of my own intellect and my own ability to recognize who God was. It's not the fact that I was able to reason it all out and choose God, but the fact that he reached out and he grabbed me in my misery, he grabbed me in my distress, and he rescued me from that. This is why we can praise God. In Romans 2.4, we read that God's kindness, His mercy, and His grace is meant to lead us to repentance. Peter is telling us that we should sing the praises of God for His great mercy that leads us to salvation. We see a great example of this on Psalms 108. Look at this verse as David prays and sings. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What does Peter said? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I don't know what may be going on in your life today. I don't know what struggles you may be having. Maybe life is good, but maybe you could come and you could reflect on these passages this morning and see that you and I have a reason to commend God. We have a reason for living. We have a reason to praise God and to worship even in the midst of our struggles. Now as elect exiles, we have experienced the wonderful grace of God by his acceptance of Christ's work on our behalf. Nothing that we have done, but by Christ's work. Peter doesn't end there. For he goes on to give the benefits of this marvelous grace, this salvation. In other words, Paul is going to list three ways God's mercy gives us hope in our suffering, or three reasons we can praise God for his mercy. Look back at verse 3 once again. 
And let's go to that last verse. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guided through a faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. What I'd like to share with you with the time that we have remaining is three reasons for you and I to praise God for his mercy. Three ways that will give us the strength to praise God. The first one is as we look at the first thing. We praise God for a living hope that is based in Christ's triumph over death. Let me say that once again. We praise God for a living hope that's based in Christ's triumph over death. Now, Peter describes our hope as living, one that is true and real, that's contrast from the world in which I would say has a dead hope. It's a hope that's not based on superstition, blind leap of faith, or just feelings. It is not a hope based on our own merit or our good deeds or our heritage. I hope I've done enough. But it's a hope that's grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his triumph over death. You have heard me in the past contrast biblical hope with worldly hope. Worldly hope is more of a wishful thinking such as I hope I win the lottery or I hope I get that raise or I hope I get that benefit. I hope I get that new job or maybe something simpler. That's wishful thinking. Biblical hope, though, is a confident expectation that God will be faithful to his promise. Let me give you that again. Hope is a confident expectation that God will be faithful to his promise. We find this hope in the word of God and the Spirit's work in our lives. In Titus chapter 3, we read earlier that God saved us not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, if you were to look down to verse 23 of 1 Peter, if you still have 1 Peter open, look at verse 23. You would read that you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding work of God. And I would remind you earlier of our scripture reading that we read in 1 Corinthians. For as an Adam died, also in Christ shall all be made alive. What we're seeing here is through the Spirit and through the Word of God and through Christ's resurrection, our salvation is guaranteed and assured. There is a hope, there is a confident expectation. Turn with me, if you would, to Titus chapter 2. And we're going to ask the question, how does this give us hope? And why should this cause us to praise God? How does our salvation and God's mercy, the fact that he caused us, how does that give us hope? How does that lead us to praise God in our suffering? This confident expectation that God will be faithful to promise. How does that give us strength? Titus chapter 2, look at verse 11. He writes, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Training us, or for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly living in this present age. He's telling us as exiles how you and I should be living in our world. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing in the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify himself of people for his own passion, who are zealous for good works. When we see that he says, we have been saved, we've been given mercy, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we recognize that the resurrection of Christ is our hope. It's not based in anything else but the fact that Jesus Christ himself has risen from the dead. And we go back to 1 Corinthians 15 that we read earlier. Without that, we would all be in vain. Our life would be hopeless. Our preaching would be in vain. Our life witness, our testimony would be in vain. You'd be wasting your time listening to this. You'd be better at home preparing for the Green Bay Packer game that starts in 20 minutes for those of you who are counting the time. We need to recognize that you and I have a living hope that the world does not have. And let me do you contemplate the fact that your hope is more than wishful thinking, but of a confident expectation that Christ is coming to redeem his people who he had died for. God's great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living let me tell you, this world is devoid of hope. This world needs hope. And unfortunately, too many people are looking to a politician. They are looking to a political party. They are looking to some nonprofit organization or something else to give them a hope. The problem is, is their hope is in the wrong thing whether it's a person, to a philosophy, to a worldview, or maybe their hope is based on the wrong thing. They're basing their hope on a new job, on the lottery, on supplying their needs. We're not realizing that it's God who gives to us all things. God has called us to a living hope. The second thing that we want to see here is that he's not only done that, but the second reason that we can praise God it's because we can praise God for an inheritance that is eternal. We can praise God for an inheritance that's eternal. Now this phrase here as he goes on, he says that we've been caused not only to a living hope, but also to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This phrase leads us to the Old Testament imagery of the promised land. The promise of an inheritance was the basis of Israel's hope and security with the rest, or with rest from its enemies. It was a place of their own. You might recall from our study in Genesis that God had promised Abraham that his seed, the children of Israel, would receive blessings that included great prosperity, a priesthood and gospel blessings, a mission of salvation to others, but also a promised land. And though you and I do not replace Israel, the church is not a replacement of Israel, we are grafted in, we do receive many of the same promises. However, our inheritance is not necessarily a physical land in the here and now. It is a land in the future, in the millennium, and in the new kingdom, in the new heaven. But it's not the here and now. No, our inheritance, Peter writes, is imperishable. Meaning it cannot be destroyed. Here is something to put your hope on, something that will not be destroyed. Hence why Jesus instructs his disciples in Matthew when he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up yourself, he says, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Unfortunately, so many Christians, their heart is still not in the right place. And I, I wish I would have known that quote of Augustine. I would have put it in here now. And I'm getting, I'll take a moment for a commercial break to encourage you for our church history class that takes place from 9.45 to 10.30. And we're looking at the life of Augustine. And I agree when he says, I think I'm going to paraphrase it, is the fact that we're all looking for something, but we can't find it. You know, we think of this song, looking for love in all the wrong places. I think people are looking for God in all the wrong places. They're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. That's the, the reason why we have addictions. It's the reason why we have broken marriages. The reason why we have people in financial disasters looking for the wrong thing. We need to be looking and finding our rest, our satisfaction in God. Not only is it imperishable, it cannot fade away, it cannot be destroyed, but it's also undefiled. And I think you and I have a hard time understanding this, meaning that it's not of this world or tainted by this world. John the Apostle in 1 John said, do not love the world or the things in the world. Why? Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me tell you, this is, this is a strong warning to you and I as Christians. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. But it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. In a few weeks, we're going to be looking at Peter when he says, Be ye holy as I am holy as God speaks. You and I recognize many times that our hope sometimes is devastated or downturned because of defilement. We live in a world that seems to touch everything. It's a sad note that we as Christians entertain ourselves in the same way the world entertains itself. We use the same desires and the same hopes as they have. There are many times that you cannot tell the difference between if you were to take a calendar and their checkbook and where they spend, you couldn't find a difference. And there should be. I want to challenge you. We're to be a, a families. We're to be a church that's undefiled. Why? Because we have a salvation that's undefiled. We have a home that's undefiled. And I've said it many times. I know that salvation has delivered us from the penalty of sin. has delivered us from the power of sin. But you and I have not yet been, del been delivered from the presence of sin. And how I yearn for that. And I know that many of you say amen to that. But we have a home that is not defiled by this world. And so many of us have encamped and built in so deep in this world. And we're struggling, we're suffering. Many of the reasons because we defiled ourselves with this world. But not only is it imperishable and undefiled, but lastly, it's unfading. Meaning that it never loses its glory or its luster. It never goes away. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, Set your minds on the things that are above, not our things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, and I would ask you, is Christ your life? When your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Have you ever gotten that new car and with a new smell or new home and you just enjoy it? It doesn't take long for it to start to get 
a little bit faded, right? It doesn't take long for that first down. I never forgot that I've got a car, and I think it was within the first few weeks we got that first little scratch and that dent. And oh, how I cried and bemoaned in that scratch. However, you're going to look at my car, you're going to find many more. And I find myself not caring as much. Same way with a place you might live. We used to have a phrase, and this is why we don't have good things. But you know what? Heaven is never going to fade. Its glory will be there. You know, there's several songs. When we've been there 10,000 years, it will not have faded. The glory will still be there. That's the home that you and I have. Set your mind on things above, on the things where Christ Take your Bibles, if you would, real quickly and turn to Hebrews 11. And we're going to end there this morning. We will not get through the, the whole passage today. Because what I'm sharing, what Peter is sharing with us this morning, is not new. This is actually something that the Old Testament leaders and prophets understood. Maybe not completely, but even they themselves were not looking for a promised land as their hope, they were looking for something even greater. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. When scripture tells us to follow the example of the Old Testament saints who looked past their present suffering to understand that we are just sojourners and exiles, but we do have a future home. Look at chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith. Who are these? That's David, that's Moses, that's Abraham, all the saints of the faith, not having received the things promised. They never received it fully. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. Verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they have gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But verse 16, as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let me share with you. This world is not our home, right? We're just a passing through. You and I need to realize the thing many times that prevents us from praising God, from having hope in times of suffering and times of trials and persecution is the fact that we're so grounded in this earth, we have put our tentacles so deep that we don't see that this is just a thoroughfare. Now, I understand how difficult it is or how easy it is to do that. You know, one of the greatest joys that I have now as being a grandfather is that little one. I see the, everything differently. There's a joy that's so much different, even when we had our own children. And we look at this and I say, boy, I don't know if I would want to go to heaven. If the rapture would come now, if you got a vote, would you vote for the rapture to happen now? You say yes, but would you really? I mean, I remember as a young person saying, Lord, don't come until I graduate. Lord, don't come until I get married. Lord, don't, marry, don't come until after the honeymoon. Lord, don't come until this, till I have children. Lord, don't come. And we do that. We delay it. We delay it. All the while saying, yes, we're waiting to go to heaven. But do you really? Is your life shown that you're desiring heaven, that you see that there's something greater than this earth? If not, then your hope will be low. You won't be as confident to get you through those difficult times. And let me share you, as we go back, one of the things that I shared with you earlier is that 
living under a different rule of king, this persecution offers believers to show others the generous love of Jesus. Many times, suffering will not have to do with a consequence of your own sin or something that you did. It could be the very thing that God is using to show other people around you who God is as they see you relate and tackle suffering in a different way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. I just want to challenge you as we just do this first part of this message. We'll finish the second part next week, I promise. Make sure you're here as we just continue these deep things that Peter has given us. Is that Peter is telling us that we're to bless God because of the great mercy he has shown us by causing us to be born again to a living hope. And to a living hope, and not only that, but to a salvation, to a home that is eternal. I pray that you would hold on to that hope this morning. That that would give you encouragement to continue. By the way, this is the encouragement that we have to offer. Not only to Christians, but also to those that do not know Christ. Hold to them the true need of a Savior. Who sees their distress. Who sees their need of mercy. And gives it to them. Let us see that God is good. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, just to share your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to bless you, to commend you, to sing of your worth, even during times of difficulty, through times of suffering. Lord, as Christians, we recognize that many times we have not realized or give thought to the fact that you have caused us to be born again, that you have initiated our salvation. Lord, bring that, may that bring us joy in the fact that we love you because you loved us first. And may we respond with a joy and with a, with a happiness that exceeds and a, and a peace that, that exceeds all that the world can understand and know. May that cause others to see who you are and to glorify you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.